Am I up and running? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're getting into our second part of the series. Last week, Smart and I started off a bit, you know, under the radar um, with a very soft topic. So we thought we'd hit it a bit harder this week, right? <laughs> it's amazing how many emails I've got from people just worried about the emails I might be receiving. <laughs> it actually got me really, really worried because I think there must have been about a dozen of them. Oh, Rob, that was great. But we're just really praying for you because I can only imagine the kind of emails you're getting. Um, just got two, so that's okay. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, sometimes as a, as a pastor, you just kind of, you know, one or two bad emails can really just cancel out 1,500 positive emails, right? And you start to wallow in yourself and thinking, woe is me and all that. And sometimes it's really good to look at the misfortunes of others. Um, it makes you feel better in some ways, right? Um, last week, um, you guys might not know this, um, who Stephen Furtick is, uh, but Stephen Furtick is a pastor of a big, big church, about 25,000 people in North Carolina called Elevation Church. In fact, you might see some of the songs we sing come from that church. You would see Steve's name as part of the copyright because he's written a few of them. Now, he wrote this text, uh, this Twitter, sorry, last week, which set everybody on fire. And of course, we all kind of got in on it. He, th he said this, he said, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. What would it be like to see the you that God sees? Those of you who are theologians in this place and maybe not even theologians, you're sitting there going, what is he saying? Well, that's what the Twitter sphere freaked out on. It exploded. And it was amazing to read all these responses from people saying, I mean, Christians just really digging in to Stephen Furtick. Now, I'm not a big fan of him. I met him once at a church planting conference, and he's quite personable up front. But, you know, you write something like this, you expect to get some sort of lashback. But the lashback was so bad. Um, uh, blog that I've been following for a number of years by a guy named Dan Foster who was a friend of mine. We, we worked at a, a church, another church planting seminar many years ago at Saddleback. In his blog, he wrote this. He said, the way that these people who Jesus has supposedly changed have reacted to someone else insinuating that Jesus doesn't change people. It only serves to demonstrate that Furtick might be onto something. It's fascinating how we respond to things that shows very much deep inside our very nature. But here's the thing, our identity is in Jesus Christ, right? We are not the people we were before we met him. And it's not just a slight change, like I stopped swearing or I stopped drinking. Sure, those are changes. But when the Bible says you encounter Jesus, you change completely you change absolutely take a look John 3 3 Jesus talking to a rabbi a leader of the nation of Judah at the time very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again now being born again means you let go of everything you were to that point, and you not just start refreshed and renewed, you are completely new. And for a son of Israel, that's revolutionary. Because they are born with a promise. They are God's people. And Jesus is saying, eh, you need to be born again. 
You need to let go of that and be reborn. John, whose gospel we read from here, he actually starts off his gospel saying this. In John 1.13, yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You are a new creature. Let me just emphasize a little bit more with some words from Paul. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And the message version of Galatians chapter 3 says this, by faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. Your baptism in Christ was not just a washing you up for a fresh start. It also involved dressing you in an adult faith wardrobe, Christ's life, the fulfillment of God's original promise. Dan Foster was just kind of comparing to these so-called people who have changed in Christ and how they're responding to Stephen Furtick and saying, hmm, it doesn't add up. And you can see this when Christians get involved in politics, right? And we have, honestly, one person to thank for this who in the last you know, three or four years has completely outed you know, the, the deep psyche, the deep and true knowledge of what us Christians are about, right? He's done an amazing job of... <laughs> now, I could have put other photos up there. I could put Jacinda Ardern or, you know, I don't know, any other photos up there. But obviously, he has had this impact that the word evangelical now means something completely different than what it did five years ago. How is it that this thing called politics has a way of changing our identity. Our identity, first and foremost, is in Christ. We are born again. We are owned by him. He's blood poured out for us. What politics does is question that identity, even if we don't realize it. It makes other people look at us and think, hang on a sec, you say you're a Christian. You say you hold to this. But look how you are responding, which I would say to some of you who responded to me this week. How are you responding? Oh, it's heresy. Yeah, it gives you the right to respond any way you want. Oh, we need to save lives. The abortion issue is a big... Does that give you the right to respond any way you wish? I'll tell you what politics has done to the Christian identity. We've replaced prayer with protest. That's the, I'm only going to talk about two points, really. This is the first one. We've replaced prayer with protest. Who remembers this protest only a few weeks ago? Led by a Christian church with speakers from this Christian church. One the leader, the other the leaders, the elders. And look at the signs. Hands off our freedoms and rights. We must assert ourselves as Christ did. Oh, hang on. Did he? This is a great picture, which I don't think Christians really can understand what the world sees when we hold up signs like that. Young Frankenstein there has got it wrong. 
I want to ask you this. How much more powerful would it have been if these people had just gotten on their knees and prayed? I'll tell you one thing. If I want to organize a protest, I can get thousands to do it. But I want to organize a prayer meeting, I'll be lucky to get five people. We're really good at waving the flags and standing up for our rights. But we are God's children first. So why aren't we on our knees? If I were to call a prayer meeting tonight and we're going to pray for New Zealand, how are we going to react to that? Or if I call tomorrow a protest at Parliament for whatever issue... I'll get a whole lot more people going there. We've replaced prayer with protest. Matthew 22, 37 to 39, we, we hold on to these biblical truths like being born again and then these great commandments which Jesus gives us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul, with all our mind, but also to love your neighbor as yourself. We've got that in our hearts, but we're not really holding on to it. So when we go out and protest, we're actually going against some very basic things that God has called us not to do. Jim Wallace, in his book on God's side, he makes this comment. He says, self-concern is the personal and political ethic that dominates our world today. But the kingdom of God says that our neighbor's concerns, rights, interests, freedoms, and well-being are as important as our own. So as much as it's right for us to have freedom to express our religion, our faith. It must be also okay for my neighbor to express his faith or her faith. Protesting about freedom and that same church protested against Muslim prayer over the radios when the Christchurch shootings happened. The world sees it and thinks, hang on, what's going on here? When we pray God's prayer, you know, the Our Father says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, not our will, but his will. When have you prayed that? I think it would be really powerful if God's people got on their knees and rather than protest, embrace the identity we have in Christ and lift our prayers to him and say, Lord, your will be done. This is worrying us. This is upsetting us. This is not right, but your will be done, Lord. Just like Jesus prayed in the garden, my father, if it's possible, may this cup take, be taken away from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We've replaced prayer with protest. That's what politics does to you. It flips you over. Your identity is released and it's taken over by something else. And you forget that you are the children of God. In Greg Boyd, one of my favorite authors, he's actually a pastor from Florida. His first book was, was amazing. He wrote a book called Letters from a Skeptic in which he shares these letters that he has between his father in Minneapolis and him pastoring in Florida. Great book. But he also wrote this one called The Myth of a Christian Nation. And he says this in it. He says, maybe not. There we go. By God's design, people are not to be won over to his kingdom primarily by our clever arguments, scary religious tracts, impressive programs, or our sheer insistence they're going to hell unless they share our theological opinions. 
No, they are to be won over by the way in which we replicate Calvary to them. They are to see and experience the reality of the coming kingdom in us. What does that mean to replicate Calvary? Think about that for a moment. Later on, I'll share with you, we preach the crucified Jesus, which to the Jews is a stumbling block and to to the Gentiles is just foolishness. But here's the thing about politics. Most people around are here looking out only for themselves and not and with little concern of the things of Jesus. That's what politics does to us. We become a different creature. It turns us upside down. Doesn't it? I could say the same for social media too, by the way. Politics will get us to replace prayer with protest, but it also does another thing. We will replace Jesus' zeal with policy zeal. I have never seen people more fervent about political issues than ever before. They would rather fight for political policy rather than Jesus. When we forget that our primary role on this planet is not to change policy, it's to change lives. To share this crucified Lord who the glory of God conquers death, rose again, and through whom we have eternal life. What, what, we've replaced Jesus' zeal with policy zeal. This photo, um, oh, actually, th- this is a comment by M.K. Sprinkle. Uh, it was just in, in regards to um, the people who are just calling Christians hypocrites. And she's, a, she's an author from, from the New England, and she was writing to uh, an editorial in the Baltimore Sun. This is a number of years ago, just as Trump had kind of taken power and she's writing well this is why we believe the things that we do and she says evangelicals care about illegal immigration and the safety and security of our nation we care about jobs and crime and taxes we care about our health care we care about Israel and its safety we care about the US constitution including the first and second amendments and equal application under the law and most definitely care about the rights of Christians and their businesses these are the few items on Trump's agenda that are important to the Christian hypocrite And then she goes on to say, and the Democrat can offer a group of pro-abortion socialists steeped in PC culture who, with their Green New Deal and Medicare for All, free education, reparation payouts, and other unlimited giveaways, have proven nearly, clearly that they have neither the grasp of basic math nor the understanding of the disastrous ramifications of their policies on the American economy. And I read that and think, how did Christians get more, more interested in the American economy than in people? And you want to talk about unlimited giveaways. God gave up his only son. Foolishness to the world. Gave up his only son. All he had. So that we may have eternal life. And a hope. I mean there's, there's good things on both sides of that right? But that's what it's, it's done to us. It's separated us. It's split us. And it makes us sound really foolish really ignorant why because we've lost our identity back in the last major elections these two guys are christian guys from hut city church just down the road the one on your left 
was a candidate running for New Conservative. And at that time, the whole Black Life Movement, uh, Lives Matters movement had come out. And here in uh, New Zealand, it was called the Brown, uh, Brown Lives Matter movement. And thinking that he was really smart, he put up a sign in Taita, of all places, with all life matters, except illegal immigrants, prisoners, gays. And one Maori woman confronted him, and I was there, because it was actually in our church when she confronted him, and said, how could you do that? Don't you see the injustice? Oh, there's injustice for all. Yeah, there is, but right now, we just need to acknowledge one thing that we haven't done well. I really quote from John Piper. What he gets right, he gets absolutely right. What he gets wrong, he gets stunningly wrong. But he makes this great comment. If our future is not secured and satisfied by God, then we are going to be excessively anxious. This results either in paralyzing fear or in self-managed greedy control. We end up thinking about ourselves, our future, our problems and our potential, and that keeps us from loving. In other words, hope is the birthplace of Christian self-sacrificing love. You want to put vaccine on that one? Do you want to put left-wing conspiracy theory on that one? This is our identity. This is our hope. It's in Jesus Christ. And when the hope is fulfilled in that, when our identity is fulfilled in that, there is nothing that worries us. Are we, are we really prepared to give up our life for it? Again, Greg Boyd, he says this, participants in the kingdom of the world trust the power of the sword to control behavior. Participants in the kingdom of God trust the power of self-sacrificial love to transform hearts. Going on, the kingdom of the world is characterized by judgment. The kingdom of the world is characterized by outrageous, even scandalous grace. And right now I could drop a microphone and walk off, but let me keep going. Romans says this, very rarely, this is the outrageous, scandalous grace of God. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And therein lies our identity in Jesus Christ. But we preach a Christ crucified. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And politics, you know what it does? It flips that all around. God has given us the strong people to shame the weak, the wise people to shame the foolish It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That 
is our righteousness. That is our holiness and that is our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is where we find our identity. This is just the one regret I have from last week that I didn't emphasize enough on. Our identity is in, first and foremost, Jesus Christ. Actually, not just first and foremost, in almost, in all of the most, in everything. And that's where we start. I'm not defined by my morals. I'm not defined by my politics. I'm not defined by my sexuality. I am defined by Jesus Amen? This is our challenge. I'm not saying we don't get involved. I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak up sometimes. There are a number of injustices. I'm going to talk a bit about that next week. Where we need to speak up. Where we need to say, uh, hang on a second. I'm not sure this is right. We need to do that but we do it birthed from our identity in Christ, not in our identity in some political party or in some really sweet words that some person's going. I'm not a Trumpist or an Obamaist or a Jacinderist or whatever it is. I'm a Jesusist. Full stop. Full stop. And until we can learn to operate from that place, Until we can learn, people tell me, we need revival in this land. Get back to Jesus, people. Like Jesus said in, in chapter 4 of Matthew, beginning of his ministry, repent for the kingdom of God is here. He's not talking to the Greeks or the, not talking to the Romans. He's talking to the Jews. Turn around. Get back to your first love. And that's the challenge for you this morning. Told you it'd be harder than last week. This is far more personal, isn't it? Last week, we can argue the extremities of it because it doesn't necessarily bother us personally for most of you. It bothers a lot of people that we ignore, which hurts my soul, that we neglect that. Right now, I'm bothering you directly. And that's what we've got to be mindful of. If we love our neighbours as ourselves, we'll do what Christ has done. I'm supposed to end the service now. <laughs> Let me pray. Father God, forgive us, Lord, for sometimes getting... <laughs> for sometimes, or most times, replacing prayer with protest and so quick to speak out rather than to seek you so quick to carry the banners of protest rather than to be on our knees praying to you forgive us as your people lord that sometimes policies are far more important than you jesus in sharing what's right and wrong with the political world rather than sharing the love of jesus christ to our communities we've neglected you lord forgive us father help us to stay focused our identity is in you first and above all 
We are your children. You are our God. And as we get away today, may we be challenged this week rather than argue policy, rather than scream protest, that we may take out time in our day to get on our knees and pray to you that your will be done in our lives and in the life of our nation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.